Sluts and Scholars, a podcast for professionals who prioritize pleasure. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Sluts and Scholars is a podcast produced by Sluts and Scholars Media, LLC. It is a shame-free educational podcast made for your entertainment and informational desires only. The podcast, any opinions we share, and any resources, including social media and emails from us, are not therapy, medical care, or professional advice, and do not create a patient-client relationship. None of the information, opinions, suggestions, resources, or exercises mentioned in this podcast should be used without clearance from your healthcare provider. All opinions, information, and ideas expressed by the guests are solely their own. If you need emergency mental health or medical help, please call 911 or 988 or go to your nearest emergency center. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars, the podcast for professionals who prioritize pleasure. I am Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I'm excited to welcome Jesse Neeland. They are a body coach, a body image coach, writer, and speaker dedicated to helping people find personal and collective liberation through body neutrality, which we will talk about today which is a philosophy predicated on the idea that how we look is the least interesting and important thing about us. Their work has been featured in Women's Health, Shape, Pop Sugar, Refinery29, BuzzFeed, Hello Giggles, and more. And their awesome TED Talk has been viewed by over 60,000 people. They also have an even more awesome book called Body Neutral, a revolutionary guide to overcoming body image issues. And they live in beautiful North Carolina with their partner and cat. Welcome, Jesse. <laughs> Thank you. Nice to be here. So I had the honor of also being on Jesse's podcast. So make sure you go check that out and support their podcast, which I think is is awesome and a great resource, especially if you are needing some help with the way you feel about your body. Um, but I would love to get into a little more about what body neutral is. Um, so how do you define body neutral and how is it different than this body positivity trope? Yeah. So, uh, I personally define body neutrality as both a process and like an alternate destination to sort of move toward when it comes to overcoming body image issues because, uh, the body positive movement started as, uh, you know, is rooted in fat activism and it was always intended to be something that centered the rights and dignity of people in fat bodies, people in marginalized bodies. But when it went mainstream, it basically just became like everyone should love themselves and their bodies and feel good about it, feel beautiful. So because that message feels so wildly unrealistic and inaccessible to so many people, body neutrality as a goal often feels a lot more like, okay, I could actually maybe do that. Mm -hmm. Um, So as a sort of goal, as it were, I define it just as the ability to see bodies, yourself and everyone else's bodies, as um, morally neutral and not indicative of like who they are, uh, anything about them, their character, their goodness or badness, their worth, their what they deserve in life. So it's about stripping away all of that stuff and just seeing it for what it is, which is a body. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just a body. Um, and the process that I like created an outline in my book is about stripping that stuff away. So really getting clear on what is keeping you from being able to see it neutrally. Yeah. And I love that you call it a process too, because I wouldn't say that I know anyone who's gotten to a place of 
full body confidence every day and every moment and about everything in their body all the time. So I yeah. think it's a process in that we don't live in a vacuum that's just positive or neutral body messages. You know, we're constantly combating the culture at large, right? And so the idea that it's a process, it means that it's a practice, right? Like exactly. this is not something that I see, at least for myself, achieving and then it's done. Right. And I, I always I'm a little skeptical about calling it a goal, but I do think because of what we're given as like our options, like you either suffer from body insecurity and anxiety and shame and hatred, or you love every inch of your body all of the time and just feel like a constant stream of affection and warmth towards it. Like door number one. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, it since we're basically given two options for a goal anyway, it's kind of nice to be like, there's one in the middle where you just kind of feel whatever and it's fine. Yeah. Um, I <laughs> I really wanted the subtitle to my book to be like the power of feeling meh about your body, but they did not like that. I um, love that. I know because that's really it's about just taking the tension out of it, the power out of it. It's stripping away the meaning that we associate with goodness and badness and all of these other associations with uh, different sizes and shapes and types of bodies so that you can kind of just be like you can totally be unsatisfied. You can also feel good. But all of that, all of that is contained, you know, kind of how like when your cat throws up on the floor, you're not like, wow, this cat is such a jerk. What a bad, bad cat, right? You're like, oh, that's unfortunate. I don't love that. But I don't love my cat less, you know? It like, depends it's how tired I am. Depends how tired I am. <laughs> that's fair, yeah. <laughs> but it gives us so much space just to be like, this isn't how I prefer to look today, but that doesn't have any power over the rest of my day, you know? Yeah. And I mean, what do you... What have you seen maybe be like the detriment of the more body positive approach? For me, I imagine it being like, then if you're not feeling great about yourself, then you go into a shame spiral of like, what's wrong with me that I can't feel good about it? Is that, That's is that the exactly downside? It. it is. I mean, ultimately it's like toxic positivity. Yeah. So there's a lot of downsides because it just doesn't make space for your full humanity. Mm -hmm. which makes people feel a lot of shame spirals a lot of the time because they feel like not only am I failing to look how I want and society says I should look, I'm also failing at the body positivity movement mm -hmm. and, you know, feminism. And I like still care about this stuff, which means I'm failing twice. Mm -hmm. So it's like a really damaging message that you should, A, just be able to choose how you feel ever about anything, but like in this case about your body and yourself. Um, because it's not a choice. It's complex and it makes sense. And these feelings exist for a reason. Yeah. So it just strips so much um, self-compassion out of the process to, mm -hmm. to treat it that way. And yeah, a lot of my clients, I would say in the beginning, before I had found the language of body neutrality, a lot of my clients came to me being like, I can't figure out why I'm so broken and bad that I can't love my body. It was like, well, geez, like starting from such a shamey place about this and then working backward to the shamey thing about how you look like that's a that's such an unnecessary layer of shame that we can strip away if we say there's a reason you feel this way. Yeah. Also, it just happens to be true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I don't know. It's helpful. I don't know if you experienced this, too, but I feel like I mean, I think we needed the maybe body positive movement, right? Like you said, and it was like wow. rooted in this fat activism and something else I saw for some folks as a um result of that was I think because it maybe was rooted in like fat activism and like thinking positive about bodies that were bigger. Um, I knew a lot of people who were naturally like thin and naturally like smaller stature and they felt 
I guess they felt like there was something wrong with them because then people thought that they weren't body positive because they're so thin and there's something wrong with them for that. Uh, does that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's messy because it's about representation in terms of the messages that you're seeing and right. like, you know, there's so much in-group, out-group stuff happening where it's like, okay, well, I yeah. decided to leave these conventional ideals for how I'm supposed to look and feel bad about that, right. but I don't quite feel like the in-group over here with the acceptance movement. Right. Like, it definitely gets messy. And to me, the neutrality process is the antidote to, like, all of these issues. Yeah. It makes space for everybody. It makes space for you to have the whole range of your mm-hmm. human experience. All of your feelings are valid. because. Body neutrality isn't you never have another thought or feeling about your body. It's that all of your thoughts and feelings and everything about your body are all morally neutral and don't have to mean anything about you. Yeah. Okay. So let's say you're ready to get more neutral. Where does one start? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we start by acknowledging that the problem or the source of your suffering isn't actually your body. Because if it was then uh, all the conventionally attractive, you know, people who meet the beauty and body ideals would walk around just feeling constantly confident, which we know isn't true. And there would be no such thing as a person in a body that didn't fit those ideals who could walk around feeling good about themselves, which we also know isn't true. Most people who have like fluctuated in weight can, you know, they report back and they're like, yeah, I wasn't any more confident when I was thinner. It doesn't, it doesn't work to focus on the body because it's not really about your body. So mm-hmm. the first step is acknowledging that and then getting curious about what it might be about mm-hmm. and that it exists for a reason. And the only way you're going to, I say, like, put it out of business, you know, if your body image issues have a purpose, mm-hmm. the only rate, the w- only way they ever go away, really, is you figure out what that purpose is, mm-hmm. solve the problem another way, meet the need another way, heal the thing that it's trying to protect you from, whatever it might be, so that you just don't need it. What are some of the underlying things that you've heard either from yourself or from clients of like, what is the the root thing when we take away the body as the cause? Oh, there's so many. So yeah. I created the four body image avatars that I, I outline in my book, like literally to help people place themselves on the map because the map of why you might be struggling with body image issues. So is broad. Vast. Yeah, it yeah. is so many things. Because if you think about it, like you have a body every day and generally y- you have to eat every day, mm-hmm. which makes these two areas the absolute most convenient for distracting yourself if you need to be distracted, yeah. you know, engaging in coping or numbing behaviors if you need to cope or numb. Um, we have all this meaning placed on it. So if like you feel like your unmet need for belonging or acceptance or love or relationship, any of these things, it's just so damn convenient to yeah. be like, well, my body would solve that. But yeah, I mean, the avatars are a system of finding yourself on the general map, mm-hmm. um, the self-objectifier avatar comes down to wanting to feel attractive so that one can be about like finding a partner or you yeah, know being wanted sex or whatever yeah it's it can be about that but honestly more often than not it's just about wanting the status that being conventionally attractive earns you and all the privileges mm. that come with that you know mm-hmm. respect kindness safety um And then the outsider is focused on fitting in. So there's Mm -hmm. usually a search for belonging in there. Like if I looked a certain way, I would feel secure in my community relationships. I'd get to be authentic, that kind of thing. Um, Or just avoid judgment, criticism, you know, exclusion, all of those negative consequences. 
Um, the runner is just using their body to cope, which can look a gazillion different ways. Mm. And I think the runner is probably the hardest to uh, paint a picture where people resonate immediately with it because it's so diverse, all the different ways we use food and exercise and body behaviors to cope and manage and feel safe. Um, and then the high achiever is focused on <laughs> status. Being the best. Yeah, it's about like proving to people that you deserve good things and very much bought into the social hierarchies of like, if you're at the top of the hierarchy, you get the good things yeah. because you're worthy of them. And if you're lower down, it means you're bad and unworthy of them, which of course this doesn't work either. Like you can get to the top of the hierarchy and nobody gives you your deepest unmet, you know, wishes and dreams and needs don't automatically get met. But um, yeah, I mean, all of these things, they can take you so many different directions, but those are the big four Mm -hmm. for what I tend to think is like where we start digging. Yeah, I'm I'm curious where body neutrality fits in with gender and gender <laughs> dysphoria uh, or euphoria. Well, I don't know when this podcast comes out, but um, I'm working on a book proposal about that exact topic. Yes, so... okay, we'll follow Jesse and stay tuned <laughs> to their updates on this. I have many thoughts on that because I've been working on it and I think it's so interesting and important. And I feel like the whole idea of like, I always say your body's not... Um, it's the least interesting and important thing about you. And I feel like so is gender. Mm -hmm. Like we need to start looking at the fact that we put way too much meaning and importance on gender. And it is keeping all of us unable to like live our biggest, most authentic lives, get our needs met, like feel fulfilled. Just so many things yeah. um, get screwed up with that. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it comes up, I think with clients of like, obviously if you're in a body that doesn't feel like your body, yeah. but you know, whether you're deciding if you want to do some kind of changes to that body to feel more gender affirmed or you don't, for me, it's like, how do we find, I guess, ways to be like neutral with it or feel like it can still experience like pleasure or other things, yeah. even if it's a body that you're not excited about. Yeah. Um, and that can be really hard when you want to be disembodied and dissociate from your body because it doesn't feel like a home. Totally. And I will say, I think that applying the neutral lens like to bodies, we also have to apply it to all of ourselves. And that includes our choices and behaviors. I believe really strongly in the power of making a mindful, conscious decision about what you want to do with your body or how you present yourself. But there's a huge difference between something like getting a boob job or a facelift because you feel like I'm unworthy because my worth is based in my, you know, uh, desirability to men. So mm -hmm. I have to do this in order to be loved or keep my uh, partner from abandoning me. Right. Like that mm -hmm. is not a conscious, mindful decision. That is an obligation. It's um, it's a trap. It's mandatory, like because mm -hmm. it's linked to your worth at that point. But I don't see inherently, uh, you know, plastic surgery as not body neutral because you can totally make a neutral decision where you say, I've examined all the facts neutrally. They include, I'd like more respect at work. I'd like, you know, whatever these benefits of getting it might be. And I'm willing to take the costs in whatever those might be. This is a decision I'm making consciously. To me, that's neutral. It's the... It's the judgment and the meaning that when it's stripped away, you're just left with the facts and you're able to be like, yeah, I want this based on what I've examined and all the information. So there's no judgment of any decision. And that includes for gender stuff too, like whether or not you decide to transition in any particular way. There's no 
no judgment, good or bad or hierarchy of what you decide. Mm -hmm. But I wish for everyone to be able to decide from a place that is not like, you know, that knee jerk reaction of this will solve all my problems when in fact, I mean, sometimes it can, but like when in fact, that's not always the case or it's not the um, it's more complex than that. Yeah. I mean, let's say as you're trying to do this like neutral, informed consent sort of decision making analysis but a lot of the factors are emotions-based. Yeah. Where do we kind of put that in? Is it like, okay, I acknowledge that this is an emotion and I'm yeah. trying to like not judge that emotion? Or Basically, is it like, okay. It's pretty straightforward. It's like, yeah, they're all yeah. valid. Let's let's invite them to the dinner table and have a conversation. Like, yeah. it's genuinely, I think with without moral judgment, you just get to be curious. And yeah, uh, yeah from there, there's really no right or wrong. But I mean, emotional stuff is information. It's all mm-hmm. it's all valid. So you also got training as a clinical sexologist, which is great. Um, I and I know we talked about this on your pod on your podcast a bit, but just that there's such a key intersection, obviously, between how we feel in our bodies and the sex that we have, because yeah. we're usually doing sex with our bodies in some <laughs> way, shape, or form. So what what did you kind of see or what were you seeing as like the intersection and like where does where does sexuality and pleasure fit fit into this conversation so as you kind of touched on yesterday there's so much crossover the reason i wanted to do the yeah. program was it just felt like relevant across so many different types of clients issues that we were working through um a lot of it would be things like you know having a client who was um a self-objectifier and mm-hmm. feeling like they'd be describing the sex they have with their partner, low libido, um, you know, pelvic pain, any of these things, issues in their sex life or partnership or whatever it might be. And just realizing that, you know, the same reason that they are anxious about their body all the time is why they also don't feel safe asking for what they want, asking their partner to slow down, even changing positions when it hurts, like the lack of ability to advocate yeah. and, you know, the, the, basically the issues that arise in body image, they were all coming from the same root source of like Mm -hmm. chronic tension, chronic anxiety, feelings of unworthiness. Um, So yeah, I mean, low or like negative body image leads to way worse sex in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And also a lot of the the stuff that people struggle with in their life, in their relationships, in their career, in everything, um, in their self-worth are often informed by the exact same stuff that is leading to body image issues. Yeah. I mean, just some of the things that like I see in my office that body neutrality would help with in a sexual way, I think first is like how our body's functioning, right? Yeah. It's its ability is what it can do. It's imperfections. It's yeah. non, non-robotness. So whether that yeah. be like how long you're lasting, if you're getting an erection, what your level of desire is, just like that there's so many judgments we have about if yeah. we're not operating, you know, perfectly mm-hmm. in that sense. Um, another key one I would see would be like what we call spectatoring where you just, yeah, that, yeah, you just like can't get in your body. So you're just like feeling like dissociated and watching it as like a judgmental spectator. Um, like how do my rules look? You're like a really mean spectator. You're Simon Cowell. You're Simon Cowell. (laughs) Like heckling the, the two people involved. Totally. (laughs) Um, yes, absolutely. That's a huge one. And unless you're into degradation, it's not hot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's non-consensual heckling. You didn't right, give right. your brain permission to do it. Yeah, you weren't like, call me a dirty fat slut. I yeah. love it. You're like, this is horrible and I'm not enjoying myself. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, all of that is very true. And the neutrality thing around function is interesting, too, because I think so many people don't even realize that that is a body image issue. Like, because of the way we talk about and define body image, people will often not realize that it, it includes the entire relationship you have with your body. Mm, not so just like are, externally how you look. Right. I mean, it can be about so many things that sometimes will translate into looks-based judgment. For example, um, I've worked with quite a few clients who struggled with things like infertility. Mm -hmm. And instead of having the narrative in their minds of like, I hate my body because I can't get pregnant, they came to me being like, I hate my body and how it looks. It's disgusting. It just makes me want to throw up. And then when we go back and look at when these thoughts, you know, started or got worse, it's like, oh, when you realized you couldn't get pregnant. So there's a there's a lot of times um, like a pretty big overlap that people aren't even aware of in that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes, um, sometimes you, you know, if they're not aware, then like going in and realizing, okay, well, I, I think that your anger, your shame, your all these things about not being able to get pregnant are what we need to be working on. And the appearance stuff clears itself out as that does, you know? Yeah. It's just sort of like a weird projection of those feelings in a place that they can understand. Um, so yeah, we do a lot of neutrality work in that space as well around function and performance anxiety is another one that just so many people don't even realize is part of their relationship to their body. It's just like, yeah, I feel anxious or spectate well, during even, sex. Even what it's called performance anxiety, like unless you're performing because you like to be an exhibitionist or you are on set doing mm -hmm. porn or whatever, like this idea that sex is something you're supposed to perform. Yeah, totally. Like that to me is I never even thought about that for the language. Do you have another term for it? Um, I mean just anxiety. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's fair. But I I guess I'm just like calling to attention this idea that like it's because we feel like we're not performing as opposed mm -hmm. to just like being anxiety, like being. <laughs> yeah. Right. That like totally. ideally with sex stuff, unless you're wanting to be performing or you're yeah. enjoying performing, that um that it's being. Yeah. And when we're being, I think we're ideally going with what's happening in the present moment and, and being, yeah, being present with that yeah. as opposed to like, oh, I need to be doing this for somebody because yeah. I'm performing. A lot of times I think people don't even recognize that the way they feel about themselves yeah. in this really critical space um, is even informed by like a hierarchy of good, bad, should, shouldn't, you know, kind of stuff. So for example, I've worked with so many um, women who don't say to themselves, I'm worried that I'm taking too long because I partner with men who take less and, you know, whatever. It's like that part is not a part of the narrative. It's just, I take too long. Yeah. You know, and so really looking at, well, what would neutrality here look like? I mm. take 45 minutes. Like, yeah, that's the true thing. Period. And... I'm anxious about my partner getting bored or, you know, being a burden on them. These are two yeah. facts we can work with. But yeah. the first one we can't because it's it's a made up story. Yeah. Oh, let's work with that one. How how might we start? I know I know that in a more in-depth thing it would be a coaching session and, yeah. and reading your book, but like what would be some first steps in this specific one about like this I often hear this happening for people with vaginas because yeah if you grew up in a body that was treated as like female or, yep. or femme, 
you're kind of taught to not take up too much space. So I don't often hear people with penises. Well, that's not true. I do hear people with penises lasting longer than they want to. Um, mm, but I yeah, hear yeah. that I hear that less often because they're like, I'm supposed to last long. Right. <laughs> um, so where could we start kind of working some slow neutrality points with this specific one of like, yeah, I take 45 minutes. I feel like the person's going to lose interest. <laughs> Um, so in a case like that, and honestly, with a lot of these things, I will often start with education just because like yeah. whatever is required to normalize, yeah. validate, affirm and myth bust. Like that's usually yeah. the place to start. Yeah. Like so, a lot of people need 45 yeah, minutes to. You're actually more. not weird. Yeah. Right. But, you know, really getting that done with something that feels official and scientifically backed is always my preference so that the person you know, I could say, oh, that's not weird, but they're not going to like feel that shift until they read a book or listen to a podcast or something or take a class where all these other people are taking, you know, a certain amount of time that, mm -hmm. you know, maybe they previously thought was so unusual and exclusive to them. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, all that stuff that normalizes it and also just inviting the communication component around whatever those feelings are and whatever those needs are with the partner. So like, finding ways to set a conversation beforehand. I mm -hmm. am feeling a bit self-conscious because I often take this long. And if the more anxious I am, the longer I take. Right. So I'm wondering what you and I could do to like create an environment that, you know, takes the pressure off and of the takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, whatever it might be, you can get creative in that space, but it, it does require a lot of, I would say, skill building around communication, self-advocacy. Um, just being direct and honest and vulnerable, it's super hard. So there's a lot of skill building there too. Yeah. And like you said, kind of the the name it to tame it approach of like, yeah. this is a thing I'm worried is going to happen yeah. can sometimes eliminate it from happening because you've named it already. Yeah. And unfortunately, like so much of sex is just supposed to, according to society, happen without any communication of any kind. Right. That people would be like, a lot of times, I could never stop sex to say something like that. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we start is right. what would it look like to invite some neutrality into the moment where you pause and say, I need five minutes. Mm -hmm. I have to tell you a thing and I'm not sure where it's going to go. And, you know, whatever it is, it's like really just creating an environment for the truth to be made yeah. known. Yeah. Yeah, like people are so afraid to like lose that moment as if they're like never going to get another opportunity yeah. for pleasure again. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and also I think that some of the messages around um, like how long things take and everything, it's like because we get a random, usually false narrative around like what people want or expect from us yeah. and then we don't directly communicate with the person in front of us. Yeah. It's like we are competing the whole time with an imaginary person mm -hmm. who, you know, like comes in three minutes from penetration and is super satisfied. Like, it makes no sense because once you open those lines of communication, you know, yeah. a lot of much more human truth is going to be revealed on both sides. Yeah. I mean, what have you seen to be some points of how either your or clients of yours, like sex lives have changed for the better since they've practiced more body neutrality? Oh, well, one of my very favorite things to see a client go through is when they move from spectatoring to embodied pleasure. Mm -hmm. And often like for the first time in adult life, having 
an experience of just being in pleasure, receiving pleasure, letting someone pleasure them and actually feeling it instead of being in their heads. You know, I work with people a lot on embodiment and um, it it is magical. It just makes me so happy because I'm like, I'm not out here. You know, my branding is not like, I'm going to make your life magical and juicy and sexy and fun. I'm like, I will help you reduce suffering. It's pretty tame. You know, that's the whole <laughs> neutral lens, right? But it makes me so happy when it goes, you know, into something so juicy and wonderful and rewarding. And I just know for me, it was so huge to stop spectatoring and learn to mm-hmm. feel my body and and accept and tolerate pleasure. So it's a true joy when I see that. And I would say that's mostly um, self-objectifiers who go through that process. And mm-hmm. a lot of that has to be, we have to unpack like uh, gendered ideas around sex usually mm-hmm. because there's so much of those links to like what a man wants if I have a man as a partner in bed um, that keep them from ever, not even if they felt worthy, which, you know, is already kind of a unlikely in that space, but um, yeah. it's the communication stuff is so terrifying. Yeah. Um, do you have any suggested like embodied practices that a listener could maybe start with? Of course, this means you still have to practice or you might yeah, need yeah. to call in some help or hire Jesse. And <laughs> like, is there a a tool that you recall that was helpful for you in the moment when you were like, oh, I'm spectatoring, um, oh. how to come back to the present? Like for me, I would say, I do this exercise with people where I see if they can find the neutral in their body, Mm -hmm. but usually the spectatoring, depending on their sort of like erotic blueprint, I would say Mm -hmm. for the people who are certain types of blueprints, I would say like doing something that brings them back into their body a little more. So like a sensation that is a little more extreme. Yeah. Um, So if you're kinky, it could be some more extreme right. sensation that pulls you back to your body. It could be temperature. So whether that be yeah. hot or cold water that you go and grab from the kitchen. Um, if you're afraid to get up, it could be like, what physical thing near you can you like come back to sensory wise? Like, can you feel mm-hmm. even something outside of you? Can you feel the sheets? Can Is there something you can smell? Kind of like the five senses. Yeah. Um but sometimes we need like a, a more intense sensation to bring us back. And that's where I think kink and BDSM can be really great because it sort of forces you to come back to the body almost yeah. like when someone's fainted in a movie and you slap them. <laughs> not, <laughs> right. not saying you should do that, you know, you should negotiate that. But um, for me, I would say it's helpful. Like I'll do something a little more extreme sensory wise to be like, oh, I have a body. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to lie to you. I never even thought of that. It makes so much sense. But I, 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 specifically for this issue, I mean, of like feeling, you know, getting in your head or whatever. I've never thought to use that as a tool there. And it makes a ton of sense. And I'm like very interested to explore it. I I use it. I use it non-sexually too. Like, I mean, it can certainly be erotic. But for example, if I'm getting like emotionally dysregulated and I'm with a partner, I may negotiate something before that, you know, with the partner of like, here's how you can help me co-regulate in the moment. Like I need you to like put me in a corner and spank me, or I need you to like grab right. my hair or I need you to lay on top of me with all of your weights or like squeeze my body. Like I, I think it can be very, um, it can be a very useful tool for embodiment. Yeah. And I would say I do use it because, you know, I've done like DBT and stuff. So I've like held the ice cube, splashed my face in water. Like I, right. I feel like I, I can definitely connect to it as a regulation tool day to day. But I never thought of it specifically with like 
kink and sex sensations. That's really fun. Um, but so I was going to say the tool that I mostly used for myself or rather one of the ones, I mean, there's so many that had the biggest impact for me and I often use with clients and, and see a big impact is um, preemptively setting up a scenario or an agreement or whatever it is that um, basically eliminates the possibility for anxiety. So by getting clear on what you're anxious about, let's say it's taking a certain amount of time if you can create a scenario that would make that impossible to be anxious about, it might sound like, you know, you and your partner deciding to set a timer for 30 minutes, they will pleasure you the entire time at the end, you're done. And whether or not you came doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like that might be, you know, you kind of get a good creative, but mm-hmm. I, I feel like so much of the disembodied feeling in sex is anxiety that can be preemptively, um, yeah, eliminated if you're creative and your partner is willing to do some strange things with like, you know, timers or w- whatever it might be. And the mm-hmm. maximum anxiety situation is going in with like just that script of what you think they might want and expect. Yeah. And that's when it's all the loudest. So creating these little containers where there's only one thing, it's fully agreed on. Mm-hmm. You can't take too long because the timer is set or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Like you you don't have to worry about reciprocating because you agreed each person gets a certain activity or, you know, whatever yeah. today. It just makes it, it makes it sometimes I think possible for people to actually be there for the first time and start laying down those neural pathways. Yeah, mm, that's awesome. Any other ways you want to share of how you've seen it like help folks in a in a sexual realm? So it sounds like being able to better ask for like what you want and need, giving yourself permission to um, do what your body needs to experience pleasure, yeah. um, better communication. Um, less... Are you saying just body neutrality in general, how it helps? Yeah, yeah. Oh, of course. Or like oh, success. Man. I guess like I want to point people towards tangible, quote unquote, success stories yeah. of like, um, that if you practice this, you can have more of this. Right. Oh, yes. Well, I mean, I'll give you like <laughs> a silly example maybe, but um, how many of my clients have like reported an inability to orgasm with a partner? And then basically I give them the assignment to not orgasm with a partner, like basically in that moment, offering them a framework of, Uh, neutrality because now they can't be failing Mm -hmm. and they orgasm Mm -hmm. like there's so much that blocks us from the kind of sex and pleasure that we crave that is literally nothing but judgment Mm -hmm. so the the stripping away of those judgments whether it's actually about functionality or pleasure or orgasm or it's about like my partner's gonna think my stomach looks gross or do my boobs look weird from this angle or Mm. you know um is my penis big enough? Like, do they like this? Do they want me? Like, there's so much in there that is going to block it. Mm. And finding your way to neutrality across all of these aspects is going to make your sex life better, access to pleasure better. You're going to like yourself more. You're going to have better communication. So your relationships are more satisfying. Like, it's just, it's across every level. Yeah. Oh, this just popped into my head. I wonder, how do we maintain neutrality or try to support someone in neutrality while also acknowledging the pain and suffering, I guess. I guess like what we were saying earlier, yeah. like I'm imagining a scenario of like making sure I'm not being like toxically neutral, like toxic positivity <laughs> right. where I'm like, oh, this is neutral. Your body just does this where someone's like 
it really fucking sucks that my oh, body yeah. does this. Like, how do we sort of acknowledge it in a maybe emotional way so that yeah. we're not just being like, it's neutral. You know what I mean? So I guess when I think neutrality, I think like unlimited and unconditional permission to to feel it, to be and feel everything. Yeah. Um, so doesn't mean you would, have to neutrality doesn't mean like apathetic. <laughs> correct. Yeah. That's a huge difference. And I think a lot of times yeah. people hear it and, and that's where they go, but no, absolutely not. Like we're always going to have thoughts and feelings about our body. We have to, that's, it would be an insane request to say, feel apathy about it. Yeah. Um, I certainly think a lot of less about my body now than I used to. So there is a certain amount of apathy that feels like when you've been, over focused on something it does drop down to a space where you're like oh i yeah. care about it way less but i think from a neutral place i can you know i can hold like on one day or another that even even dysmorphia which i still get occasionally yeah. um i would say i used it used to be kind of a constant state like i never knew what i looked like because i was constantly seeing like just absolute nonsense in terms of sizes and ratios and things when i looked at my body in the mirror now, when it happens, instead of being like, oh, no, I got bigger and wider and weirder and older, I don't know, whatever the complaint is that my brain is sort of posting, I can be like, ooh, interesting. I wonder what my brain is like up to right now. I wonder what might be underneath this. I wonder what I might need, like, yeah. or I wonder what I'm afraid of, because I know that can be my pattern. Yeah. So it just gives you the information with which to do whatever would be the most kind and caring thing. Yeah. So I guess the flip side is also true that like neutrality doesn't mean that you can't also celebrate exactly the wins yeah. too. Cause I like, I, I wouldn't want people to feel like they had to just be like, eh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I feel like with that, I'll often say, yeah. um, there's a difference between celebrating the, like, I love how I look today mm -hmm. again, without the conscious acknowledgement of because I fit conventional beauty and body ideals that I can only fit today because I didn't eat yesterday and I'm still in my 20s and mm. my boobs are still perky. And yeah. you know what I mean? Like <laughs> right. without acknowledging what you're saying, you are yeah. setting yourself up to feel like a failure down the line. Right. But as soon as you acknowledge it, it becomes safe to feel that. Yeah. And that's where like, again, so it's the, just put, that, putting it into context with curiosity yeah. is, is the key. Yeah, like I feel really good about the way I look today because it feels to me like I am higher status mm. or like I know I will be treated as though I am a higher privileged person today than I would have, you know, at this other time. Yeah. And that can be okay and feel feel fine. And then there's this whole other way you can feel good about your body that <laughs> is actually not linked to those conventional ideals and hierarchies. Yeah. And that is science fiction to someone who hasn't experienced it. So I try not to talk about mm. it too much. Um, <laughs> it makes people feel really crazy sometimes when they're like, what are you talking about? How could you feel good about it if it didn't meet the ideals? Yeah. But I do feel like, man, there are some days where like it has nothing to do with conventional stuff. Yeah. Like I'm noticing I gained weight or, you know, looking. <laughs> I don't know why, but I really love when I have bags under my eyes. I just think they look so cute. And like that obviously is completely outside of whatever I was taught, right? Because right. I used to put concealer on and everything. Um, I like when I look sick sometimes. I don't know. It just is like a very childish, whimsical delight in how I look at times. That is That's just cool. totally outside of whatever. I love that. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Well, 
this is just the start of the process for some people. How can folks find you, continue along this process uh, of neutrality, get in touch, hire you, all the things? Yeah. Wait, um, and so- get ready for your new book. <laughs> we'll see. Um, so you can buy my book, Body Neutral, anywhere you buy books, ebooks, uh, audiobooks. You can listen to my podcast. This is not about your body. Anywhere you get your podcast or on my YouTube channel. And you can go to my website, justineelan.com. So if you want to apply for coaching, all the information is on there. Um, and you can find me on Instagram as well at justineelan. Shoot me a DM, whatever. Great. Jesse, thank you so much for joining me. I, it's an honor to get to talk to you on both platforms. Again, listeners, if you want to follow what I'm doing, I'm on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, Twitter at Sluts Scholars. Listen anywhere you get your podcasts or slutsandscholars.com. Please don't forget to rate and review um, at least a neutral one. Uh, <laughs> and uh, check out those advertiser discounts. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you for having me. Sluts and Scholars a podcast for professionals who prioritize pleasure. Sluts and Scholars is a podcast produced by Sluts and Scholars Media, LLC. It is a shame-free educational podcast made for your entertainment and informational desires only. The podcast, any opinions we share, and any resources, including social media and emails from us, are not therapy, medical care, or professional advice, and do not create a patient-client relationship. None of the information, opinions, suggestions, resources, or exercises mentioned in this podcast should be used without clearance from your healthcare provider. All opinions, information, and ideas expressed by the guests are solely their own. If you need emergency mental health or medical help, please call 911 or 988 or go to your nearest emergency center. We hope you enjoy the show.